0: Well, I want you to turn to Hebrews 4. We're talking about the subject of faith. And faith towards God is really what I'm speaking to. And the reason I call it faith toward God as opposed to faith in God is because in Hebrews 6, the first six six foundation stones of our faith are listed. And the first one is... uh, repentance from dead works, but the second says faith toward God. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, he said, I would prefer that we were able to go beyond the elementary teaching of Scripture. He goes on to say about the fourth verse of Hebrews 6, that if, if God permits, we will now proceed unto advanced teaching. Uh, if the Bible says there's advanced teaching, there is advanced teaching, and the rest of the book of Hebrews has some incredibly inform, uh, strong information that takes um, a heart that wants to study to really fully comprehend so that you can rightly divide it. But nevertheless, when it speaks of the six foundation stones of our faith, the second one that it lists is faith towards God. Faith is basic. It says that faith is one of the basic issues of all the tenets of our faith, the tenets of our Christianity. And yet, as you travel the world, you find so many people that still have so little knowledge of what it really means to walk by faith. You do know that we're commanded to walk by faith, don't you? The scripture says that the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. We know that in Hebrews 11, it says without faith, it is impossible to please God for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But hear that afresh as if you've never heard it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith is something that evidently is pretty important because it's what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. And unfortunately, like I said, there's been an absolute famine of faith even in the body of Christ, even in church. We go through the expression of our Christianity so often, and yet we don't find ourselves living out what this Bible says the expression of Christianity should be, because it is again to be a living faith. I mean, we have a living Lord Jesus, as I said last night, Jesus is alive, isn't he? He's alive, and he's a living God, and a living church will have a living God walking in their midst. And a living Jesus will do the same thing he did when he was walking on this earth, living. So if he's living in our hearts, there'll be that awareness of just that, that he's absolutely able to do exactly what he did then because he lives in us. We all know the familiar scriptures in John where it says that the works that I do, Jesus said the works that I do shall you do also. He said in greater works than these shall you do because I'm going under the Father. And so he fully expects, heaven fully expects that the same works that were done in the life and the ministry of His Son, Jesus Christ, would be seen in the outworking of our lives. And so something has to happen radically in our understanding or in our thinking so that we can be brought up to par, as it were, brought up to where God actually wants us to live. He wants us to be Christians. That may be a revelation right there. But He actually wants us to be Christians. And as most of you will know, you know, the word Christian simply means little Christs. Now that is mind-blowing for a lot of people. It means little anointed ones. Every single one of us have been given the same measure of faith. And it's up to us to do something with the measure of faith, to develop it and allow it to grow. Faith is a muscle. It's something that unless you actively use, it will not grow. But it's intended to grow. The word of the Lord grew, it says, and and prevailed mightily amongst God's people in the book of Acts. And he wants the same thing to happen with us today. But to take off where we left off, in Hebrews 4, let's look at some basics right here. If you have the outlines, I'm still on lesson 3, but I'm going to run through some of this quickly. Everything I read remembers from the Amplified Bible. But in Hebrews chapter 4, the first two verses, it says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still holds and is offered today, Let us be afraid to distrust it, lest any of you should think he has come too late and has come short of reaching it. For indeed, verse 2, now listen, for indeed we have had the glad tidings, the gospel of God proclaimed to us just as truly as they, the Israelites of old, did when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith. Then in the Amplified it says, it always says this next to the word faith in the Amplified Bible, it has in brackets, with the leaning of the entire personality on God in absolute trust and confidence in His power, wisdom, and goodness. And then it says, by those who heard it. So let me read it again. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it, Neither were they united in faith with the ones Joshua and Caleb who heard and did believe. So very simply, if you hear it again, the scripture says in the King James, Unto us, this is how it's quoted in the King James. and This is why I used to call this whole message, Unto us and unto them. And I'm going to read through the outline rather quickly. Unto us as well as unto them. Everybody say, Us and them. Us and them. Because in the whole church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that is the two major divisions. There's us and there's them. For unto us, as well as unto them, was the word preached. The same word. Everybody say the same word. The same word was preached to all people. Jesus Christ did not change His message because of the different churches or areas He went into. He had one message. For unto us, as well as unto them, was the word preached. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith, in them that heard it. So the issue is that God's promises are to all. God's word is the same to all. But the problem is never with the word of God, as it were, as far as in its its sanctity and the strength of what God's word really says. The issue is in whether or not people hear it and receive it and mix faith with it. So the issue is not the message as much as it is the hearer or the receiver. And let me just read through the outline here. And again, Uh, We'll come back to this. Why hasn't our faith been more effective in our relationship with Jesus? Because God has promised us that anything we find in His Word, in other words, His will, is available to us through our faith. We know that Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The more you hear God's Word in an area, the more opportunity you have for faith in that area. Faith is a release toward God that He will do what He said He would do. Why are some healed and some not? Why are some baptized with the Holy Ghost and some not? Why are some people's needs met and some people's needs not met? And it all comes back to Hebrews 4, too. Because the word preached has to be mixed with faith in them that hear it. Now, that's so simplistic, but uh, again, I'm asking us prayerfully that we will hear that. So many people are waiting for God to do something. Now, just think about it in the most simplistic terms. Well, if God would do it, I will go there, or if God would do this. Everybody's waiting for God to do something, but God's already given his commandments. God's already given his word some 2,000 years ago through his son, Jesus Christ, and then through the word and the acts of the apostles that also said that we would be saved through their word, and he's waiting for us to do something. It's just that simple. Everybody's waiting for God. God's waiting for us. That's why A lot of people go their whole lives and never really see the fruit that they know the Bible says could be or should be forthcoming. People have mistaught, and I know I often get in trouble when I go in this direction, but so many people misteach the sovereignty of God. They talk about how God is sovereign. It's true. God is sovereign. But in God's sovereignty, he's put all things into the hands of man. Now think about that. You know, if God is sovereign the way some people teach them, then why when... Why, when Moses came out and led the people of Israel out of Egypt, why doesn't Moses just part the Red Sea, or rather God just part the Red Sea himself? Think about some of the simplest of things. Every single act of miraculous deliverance you find, even in the Old Covenant, God has to find a man somewhere that will cooperate with him. Now, just just hear that. God, why doesn't God, why does God have to speak to Moses and say, Moses, stretch forth your rod over the sea and divide it? Why doesn't God just divide it? You hear what I'm trying to say? God's sovereign, isn't he? Isn't he? God is sovereign. But you see, people don't really understand what happened in the fall. They don't really understand that this world was turned over into the hands of a a fallen man. And the only way God can get back into work into this earth is when somebody who understands the plan of redemption begins to take advantage of the covenant that God has offered and through the covenant begin to release the will of God in the earth. Hallelujah. So God has to speak to a man, and God speaks to Moses and says, Moses, stretch forth your hand over the sea and divide it. When I used to teach that in the Bible school, I would often, I'd quote the Scripture exactly, and I'd always ask the students, who, according to this verse, I'll quote it. God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, stretch forth your rod over the sea and divide it, and my people shall walk across on dry ground. That's what the Scripture says. And I'd ask the students, who divides the Red Sea, God or Moses. And I say, look at the scripture, and I have them look at the scripture. God says to Moses, Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. So who divides the Red Sea? See, everybody says it so quick. Moses. You know what I'm <laughs> Moses. Because you don't want to say that, because it's against your theology or how you've been taught. And then people, and I'll, then I ask people, well, can a man divide a sea? And they'll go, well, no. And then they'll, then they'll all shift and they'll go, well, God did i say, but what's the scripture saying? And they'll go, well, and they'll look back, well, it's, it says, it says, God said, Moses, God said, Moses, you divide the sea. And of course, it's not that it's supposed to be a trick question, but see, people have to catch it. God, evidently, has bound himself to his covenant, and to his word, to his way of being and doing. So God's sovereignty is caught up in the midst of his people's obedience to do what he commands them to do. God says, Moses, stretch forth your hand. In other words, Moses doesn't part the sea, but friends, God doesn't part the sea. God and Moses is the most accurate way of saying it. They have to work together. I mean, look at all the things. Why does God have to have prophets? Why in the Old Testament, you know, the widow's crews of oil, all these things. Why is it that somebody, wherever you find miraculous deliverances, you find that people somewhere have to cooperate? For God's supernatural act to come. That's why I've written in the front of every book I've ever owned. You know, God said to me many years ago, you do the natural and I'll do the supernatural. A lot of people are trying to do the supernatural. You're only qualified to take care of the natural. But the natural with God is you being obedient to do what he's asked you to do. So that's where we've had this problem so often. Well, if it's God, it'll just happen. No, it won't. No, it won't. It's well, if it's God's will, it'll happen. No, it won't. No, it won't. Because it's God's will that all men be saved. Isn't it? It's God's will that all men be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. Are all men saved? No. Why? Because man has to move towards what God has made available. And that's where the other basic principle of faith, it's got to be driven into our hearts. And every message I ever preach in my life, I I wind up sharing this, but it's because it's so important. As far as it speaks about faith, remember the basic truth of Ephesians 2.8. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace... Are you saved through faith? Remember? Not of works, lest any man should boast. So you're saved by grace, but through faith. And so what this basic principle is, now listen to me afresh, remember everything God does, he does according to a a principle and based upon a pattern. Actually, according to a pattern and based upon a principle. Everything God does. Whatever God's grace, act like you've never heard this before, whatever God's grace has made available, faith must obtain. Now, did you hear that? But did you really? And I always share, is everybody outside of this building potentially saved? Is everybody in this surrounding, is everybody in England potentially saved? Yes. Why? Talk to me. Why? Because... The grace of God has been released in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Hallelujah. Hasn't it? So really catch this. The grace of God has been released in this whole planet. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. But why aren't they all saved? Is the capacity for salvation there? Yeah. But why aren't they all saved? Because... You have to move towards what grace has made available and by faith appropriate to yourself that which has been made available through the redemptive work of God in Christ Jesus, the grace of God. Hallelujah. But see, this is a basic principle. Everything that God has made available through The grace that came to planet Earth in the person of Jesus Christ, you have to move toward it and by faith appropriate it to yourself. This is why it's desperately important that we continue to teach, and why I said God's breathing so hard again on this message. The world, though the body, well, the world needs a church who knows who they are. You know? They don't need a church that has all this mingled seed where half of them believe this and half of them believe that and the rest of them don't believe zip. You know what I mean? Somebody needs to actually believe God to the degree that they move in faith as if God actually meant what He said. As if they actually had faith that if they walk in in obedience to what He's asked them to do, if they do what it takes to do in the natural that God will kick in and do His part in the supernatural. Like, it's teaching about healing. Like I said, God's Word commands us to lay hands on the sick. And He said, they will recover. Our part is to take these two mitts at the end of our arms, lay them on people, and He said, recovery will begin in my name. Those who believe will lay hands on the sick. And they shall recover. And I've had to train myself that for years because, you know, I know everybody wants the spectacular. Everybody wants to see the miraculous. They want to see things right now. And again, the issue is, like Bosworth said, you know, we've, we've, one of the greatest hindrances to, to the miraculous is that we've confined God to the miraculous. You see, faith and patience, that's what we're going to get to over the next few days because faith is what kicks the door open to the promises of God. But patience is the doorstop. <laughs> It keeps it open. But if the only way you think God moves is through the bam, pow, snap, crack, popple, you know, poop, it's right now miraculous, instantaneous, then you see, if something doesn't happen instantly, most people go, oh, well, I guess it's not working. No, no, no. See, you have to understand the commands of faith are commands that are in the realm of the Spirit. Things are released in the realm of the Spirit, and they're working every single time you engage the law of faith. It works. But you see, that's how you got saved, isn't it? And see, if the most basic of all, the most powerful of all scriptural truths, if that's how your salvation came, you believed something in your heart, and you confessed it with your mouth, then how else can you think that it doesn't work with every, every other rest of the promises of God? That's the basic pattern. You see, in Romans 10, Paul said in the very first few verses, he said, I speaking of his own people, Israel, he said, I bear them record that they have a zeal for God. It's wonderful to have a zeal. It's wonderful to have a zeal, but listen to what he said. I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but it is not according to knowledge. For going about to establish their own righteousness, they fail to submit themselves to the righteousness which is of God or which is of faith. And then he goes on down in the 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th verses. And he said, for what saith it? He said, that the word of faith is nigh thee. But he says, I'm sorry, let me back up. He said, but the righteousness, remember the righteousness, the word righteousness is just the old English word for right standing with God. People who have right standing with God, he's about to say how they speak. He said, but the righteousness or the right standing of God, which is of faith, speaketh on this wise. Do not say, it's interesting, the first thing he says is what not to say. Do not say in your heart, and all these things are important, it's what you say in your heart. See, this is why we've got to get to your heart. Because you may say something in front of me with your mouth, but again, when the pressure's on, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. That's why we only really know you when we see you under pressure. But he said, for the righteousness, of right standing with God, which is of faith, speaketh on this wise, do not Say in your heart, who shall ask Christ to come down from above, or who shall ask Christ to come up from beneath? But what saith it? It says, "The righteousness which is of God speaketh on this wise: that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved." Now listen, for with the heart. For with the heart man believes, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's the basic premise. You you see, you have to to know a little bit about faith or else you wouldn't be saved. (laughs) You didn't hear me, did you? Because that's how you got saved. At some point, you believe something in your heart more than you believe something with your head. And again, as I say over and over again, you have to understand there's no place in scripture where God's ever asked you to believe with the head. You've got to differentiate between what your brain is telling you and what your spirit is telling you, what your heart is telling you. Because faith is located, those are the two locations of faith, in the heart and in the mouth. The word salvation there, you know, in Schofield's Bible, Schofield will say the word is sozo, S-O-Z-O in the Greek. He said, quote, it's the all-inclusive word of scripture. Because the word salvation doesn't just mean to be saved. It means salvation, healing, (coughs) preservation, deliverance, and soundness of mind. So hear what it's saying. Hear the basic premise of how faith functions. For with the heart man believes, and with the mouth confession is made unto whatever it is that you need. You see, at some point, this word has to strike our spirits so strong. It impacts your heart so strongly. It becomes written upon the fleshly tablets of your heart. Now, this is why I labor over this over and over again, going through the same messages over and over again. What we have to get past is just having received a message of teaching with our head as opposed to something that's been carved into our very being. you understand? Because again, as long as you've only accepted a teaching, somebody else can come along with a greater communication gift and negotiate you into another form of teaching. So, forever I tell people never receive another man's convictions, because when you receive another man's convictions, you receive the errors that he holds. You must establish your own convictions based upon your own study of the Word of God. So, this is why we've got to get our people and our churches delivered from just sitting and listening to sermons and get them to the place where they actually, like Acts 17, Paul said in Acts 17, 11, he said, those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with readiness of mind, but they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Hallelujah. <laughs> to me, that's the fairest form of ministry there is, is to say, you do not have the right to believe anything I say, but you must study it for yourself and get your own convictions because you are, live out what you actually believe. Every single one of you, like it says even in psychology, every single one of you are self-fulfilling prophecies. You live out what what you really have in your heart, what you really have in your heart, what you really have in your heart, what you really have in your heart. You will always go to the level of what is really in your spirit. That's why we've got to get to your spirit. We've got to get to the inner man. That's why you have to be washed and washed and washed and washed and washed by the word of god john 15 jesus said now are you clean through the word which i've spoken unto you the word of the lord will come and just wash and renew the way you think and renew the way you live and it reconstructs your whole soul hallelujah and your soul needs reconstructing trust me mine did mine still does so does yours but like Paul said, in the midst of these things, when you begin to see this, Paul said again, do not let me become your enemy because I tell you the truth. So back to this, he said, why are some healed and some not? Why do some get free and some don't? The same word is preached to everybody. But unto us as well as unto them was the word preached. But the word preached does not profit people if they don't understand how to mix it with faith. So do you think it might be important then if we define what faith is? Seriously. Seriously. In other words, you know, my people are destroyed because of what? Lack of knowledge. Hosea 4.16. My people. And the Bible says God has, it's not God's will even for the wicked to perish, much less his own children. But all he can do is offer the word of life to us. He can't make us eat it. You know little kids like my granddaughter Kelsey. Man, I'll tell you. Or like Anna used to be over here. I mean, when you go to, have you ever tried to feed a kid something they do not want to eat? Remember what it's like when they do that? and you try all the games, here comes a little plane, and you're trying desperately to get something into their mouth. Man, 85%, if not 90%, of the body of Christ is like that. We've got some awesome food, and we're going, come on, this will do you good. And going, mm-hmm. Because, you know, it doesn't taste like I want it to taste. It doesn't smell like I want it to smell. I only want ice cream. You never have to force a kid to eat ice cream. Notice that. Oh, well. But the stuff that builds some energy and puts some nutrition in you is fruit and the substance of the meat of the word. The word of God says that that, you know, that even as babes you need to desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. But then in Hebrews it says that strong meat belongeth unto those who by reason of use have exercised their senses to discern the difference between good and evil. So this Bible does have a lot of milk, but it has some strong meat. But strong meat can only be chewed by some people that have worked and matured and began to work with this word to the point that they're able to handle it. But we have churches around the world that are full of milk drinkers and we have churches that have some meat eaters in them and that's where everybody ranges, from us to them, from milk drinkers to meat eaters. Now, God loves them all, so don't get upset with me because every time you begin to teach this, when you come to the things of faith and what it means to grow up spiritually, some people here that they're not as spiritual, that we're saying God doesn't love you, that you're like somehow he come behind. Let me tell you, do you know the thing that you know? You know what's interesting about three-year-olds? They're three three years old. You can't make a three-year-old be 16. You can't make a 16-year-old be 30 years old. It's incredible. All you can do with the kid that's three years old, if they go to stick their finger in a light socket... You have, you know, you don't stop them, do you, and bring out an entire book of electronic engineering. (laughs) And you don't sit here and begin to show them schematics and wiring plans and teach them about, you know, Boyle's law of gas and all these, you you don't teach them all these things about the power of electricity and conduction and, because they're three years old. What do you do? You say, Bernie, Bernie, (laughs) you know, something like that, don't you? Don't just trust daddy. Trust, Daddy, don't put your finger in that socket. See, the problem is we have people in the body of Christ today that are 65 years old chronologically, and they're three years old in the things of the Spirit. And it offends their mind when all we can say to them is, Bernie, Bernie. And their 65-year-old mind is saying, that's offensive to me. Because after all, I know how to think and logistically consider things. But things of the Spirit are not things of the flesh. The carnal mind is at enmity to God. It cannot indeed, it will not submit itself to the things of the Spirit. There's a whole other realm out there of understanding. God, Jesus' Son, Jesus said in John 6, He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are Spirit. Spirit. He was bringing information from another realm. To a people that walk in an earthly realm. And this whole Christian journey is about us being taken from faith to faith, from strength to strength, from glory to glory. See, there's God's will as that we continue to behold in the Word of God a, as, a, as in a mirror the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be transformed from one level of glory to another level. God wants us to increase. God wants our revelation to increase. Steve's heart burns with the revelation he has of worship. My heart burns with the revelation that I have of God's the potency of God's Word. And other people, their hearts burn with the revelations that they have because it's it's the most frustrating thing on earth to have tasted something and look at a people that are hungry and try to communicate to them, I've got what you really want. And it's not that I'm something, but I found something. It's been something that's changed my life. And you so desperately want to be able to offer it to people. And that's why, really, the more you are taught of him, the more you find yourself driven to your knees in prayer because you get so frustrated. I mean, you know, you think about it. Jesus Christ must have been at times the, he must have had the opportunities to have been the most frustrated of all men. Think about it. He said, I came unto my own. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And I always remember John 12 there. That, that, I think it's John 12, maybe it's Matthew 12. No, it's John 12. Remember when Jesus, it says, it says in, that many of the, of, the, of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees believed on him. Many of the rulers of the synagogue believed on him, but, be, no, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees believed on him, but because of the rulers of the synagogue, they would not confess him, lest they were kicked out of the synagogue. Do you remember that? In other words, and it says they would not. And the next verse says, Jesus, the next verse, the next two words, the next two words. Think about it. In other words, these people were exposed to the truth, Jesus Christ. And they believed. But the tradition of their church their synagogue, was so strong. They were so afraid of man. They were so constricted by their elders that they were afraid to yield themselves to the truth they've seen because they didn't want to be kicked out of where their life had become secure. And the next two words are, Jesus cried with a loud voice. And he said, the words that I bring, he said, they're not my words, but they're the words of God. They're the words of my Father. He said, if any man believe on me, he believeth not on me. He believeth on him that sent me. And you can just see in his face, and his, you know, he's going, oh, my God, you know, these are the people I've come unto my own. I want them to hear this. I want them to know this truth. But for the fear of man, they would not confess him, lest they were kicked out of the synagogue. I, I know that I know that I know that the Lamb of God's heart broke many times before he went to the cross. As he looked into these and he knew, can you imagine walking and all you've got is truth? You're not trying to lift yourself up. All you're wanting to do is bring life and light and liberty. You know that's your call, that's your commission, that's all you want to do. And people, even those sometimes who will hear, won't abide because they're afraid of what others think. Jesus cried in another place, didn't he? And he said, yeah, you make the Word of God of no effect in your lives because of your tradition. There's good tradition, but there's bad tradition. Anything that keeps you from the fullness of what God has, for, has done for you in Christ Jesus, I would submit to you is not healthy. But again, you will never know that if you are confined only by the sermons that you've heard, and you're not adventurous enough to study God's Word for yourself and say, well, a lot of people say this. A lot of incredible communicators have written this. But what does the Word say? Does it not say that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Doesn't it? You know, it actually tells you right there in that verse, so many people quote thir- Hebrews thirteen eight, but they don't know the verse before that and the verse after that. Hebrews 13, 7 says, it speaks of those who you're to follow. And he says, uh, follow those, it says, whose conversation consider, he said, considering the end of their conversation, which is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, it tells you right there, the people that you're supposed to follow are the people that are preaching that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, like I would say, if, if he was healing yesterday, my friends, he's healing today. Somebody say yes, yes. amen, because it's the truth. If he was delivering yesterday, he's delivering today. The next verse says, be not led about by any other doctrine. Hallelujah. So what are we to do? Preach stuff that just tickle your ears? Or what are we to say, there is another place? But just because some people have butchered the message of faith, like we said last night, don't throw the whole message away because of how some people have maybe distorted it. This is why I repeat again. See, get to the Bible yourself. Get to the Bible yourself. And I tell you, like I say over and over again, the, the Holy Spirit is intended. He's waiting in the wings to be your teacher, like Stephen. Worship, come, Holy Spirit. We say it again, just glibly sometimes. There's not a day of my life that I don't close my eyes as tight as I can and pull on Him because I know I I've got the greatest teacher there ever will be at my disposal any time I need Him, anytime, anytime. Everybody wants to ask us questions, and I understand that. People that were my elders in the, in the body of Christ, of course, they had insight in things, and I'd ask them questions. But at some point, I remember this one of my teachers, he used to make me so mad, this guy, I'd go to him with what I thought was one of my deep revelations, you know, and I'd sit in front of him, and I'd say, well, you know, the word da-da-da-da-da, I mean, the Bible, and, I, what do you th-? and I'd go, what do you think, Eddie? I'd go, this guy, Eddie. Eddie Duncan, so many years ago, and I said, what do you think about this? And he'd just sit back in his chair and he'd look at me and say, well, what's the Bible say? And I'd say, well, I know the Bible says this, but I want to know what's your opinion. What do you think? And I'd go on, Durr. and Eddie just said, but he wouldn't say a word. He'd just go, when he'd answer me, he'd go, what's the Bible say? And I'd go, well, I know what the Bible says, but I mean, I want to hear all this stuff that you've got. You know, tell me all this stuff. And he'd sit back and go, what's the Bible say? Made me so mad? Because I wanted all this conversation. But what he was doing, you know, he was driving me to something. He was forcing me. He was loving me. He was making me go to the Bible and have something called a personal relationship with with God and his word. You know, I'm not saying, you see, don't misunderstand me. I love fellowshipping with people of like precious faith. But there comes a time in every believer's life when you have to receive it. Well, you don't have to, but I tell you, you're missing one of the best deals ever offered. Where you actually begin to say, Holy Spirit, teach me. You show me. And the thing about the Holy Ghost is that he will teach you in a language that you will understand. He won't pontificate. He'll speak to you in a language that will be something that you'll hear. And so whatever the questions are, the hard sayings of Christ, things that I don't immediately see or understand, I've just said, Holy Spirit, teach me. And I then use faith and say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe I receive information concerning that passage. I mean, there's a lot of passages in the Bible right now that throw me. I have no idea. And Just the other day, I was looking at something, and I just said, this is what I've done all of my life. I just said, Lord, I have no idea what you mean by this. Would you please teach me? But I've learned to do this over the years. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, teach me. Please teach me. Teach me about this. And I've learned to then take it and say I I receive wisdom about that in Jesus' name. And then I always do this. Now I cast the care of this on you. And I set it aside. As it were, I put it on a spiritual shelf. Because I've watched over the years. You know, the Holy Ghost knows when you need to know things more than you do. And I've watched him maybe just a week later, a month later. Sometimes it's been five years later. But it's so interesting. Every single time he's done it. When he's shown me something about a scripture that I hadn't seen before, it's as if I was transported back into time to the instant I asked him. And it's as fresh as that, and he'll, and you'll go, and he'll, and he, he'll show it to you, and you'll go, and there it is. And you realize when he shows you something, you never would have understood it before. You never would have comprehended it before. Jesus himself, and John, remember 13, said, you do not understand what I'm doing right now, but you will understand later when he was washing their feet. So unto us as well as unto them was the word preached. But the word preached didn't profit people, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And again, it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Everything that God's made available, you have to appropriate by faith. Otherwise, why didn't he just save everybody? Did you, now, let's jump back to this. Did you really hear that? Well, God's Word is the same today, like I said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Psalm 89, 34 says, My covenant will I not break, nor alter that which comes from my lips. James 1:17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Deuteronomy 32, 4 in the Amplified says, He is the rock, His work is perfect. For all his ways are law and justice, the God of faithfulness, without breach or deviation. Just and right is he. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was there before God spoke to man. It was settled in heaven before it came to earth. It was settled before it came to anyone's denomination. God's word is settled in heaven. No matter what our denominations define it, God's word, God's pure word has been settled in heaven. 2nd Peter 1:20 says no word of God is of any private interpretation. It's for whosoever will. Here's why again some do and some don't believe, why some will receive and some won't, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Was there a difference in the gospel? that was preached to them? No, it was the same word preached to both. Jesus did not change or alter his teachings depending upon what church he went to. The 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2 and 3 is where I really left off last time. and <laughs> I'm just going to quote it. It's a powerful word study. I didn't bring it with me. I should have, but I, part of it I can give you anyhow off the cuff. But 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2 and 3, Paul shares some, it's a powerful few scriptures. He said, "I am for I am jealous over you, with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But now listen to what verse 3 says. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, that your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The next verse says, for if some come to you preaching another gospel, which is not the gospel, or another Jesus, what is not, which is not Jesus, he says, let him be accursed. And you have to understand what Paul was really saying as he was teaching at the church of Corinth. That was a strong, the next strongest language that he ever used, the strongest being in the book of Galatians when he spoke at the province of Galatia all the Judaizing teachers that came in behind to try to dilute the truth that had come from heaven to his being taught directly by, the, by Jesus Christ himself. Remember in Galatians it says that Paul was sat down and he had this out of body experience and it says Paul was taught by direct revelation of Jesus Christ himself. Hallelujah, would you like to have been sat down by the master himself and taught? And then he was sent back to earth to teach it and talk about the opportunity for frustration Heard things that were unlawful for man to utter. And I always laugh because I always think to myself, the stuff that he was given was pretty heavy. You know, you have to think, Peter spoke about Paul's writings and said many people wrestle these things to their own destruction because some of them are hard to be understood, and they are. But you can understand them, but I repeat, you don't get real deep biblical understanding by just looking at the top all the time. If you want the mother load, you have to dig deep. There has to be something in you where you begin to cry out for wisdom, like Proverbs says. It says, if you will lift your voice and cry out for wisdom. Do you understand that God respects hunger? Like I said, God respects determination. God respects. There's something about that that tantalizes His heart, the Father's heart. And a father has no greater joy than to hear that his children walk in truth and want truth. Nothing delights the heart of a father more than to see his children really want to learn. You know, you begin to just stretch yourself out towards them, and you want to give them everything you can give them, because you see, they're actually serious. I'm going to tell you, you begin to reward your kids when you see them study hard. It blesses your heart so much, you know what I mean? Well, he's the father that from whom all fatherhood takes his name. Don't you think it does the same with him? Hallelujah. But listen to this. There is a lot of people out there preaching the gospel that's not the gospel in the scripture. There's a lot of people out there preaching a Jesus. It's not the Jesus that's in the scripture. And that's the danger of this whole thing. But I just want to speak for a minute about a minute about what Paul said there in the second and third verse. He said, For I fear for you, now listen to it, that just like Eve. Was beguiled. And here's a place to go back and study. You go back into Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 and you can see what it means. But he said, just like Eve, in other words, he's telling us Satan works in a particular way, deception comes in a particular manner. And he said, I'm afraid for you that just like Eve was beguiled by the subtlety of Satan, that your minds should be corrupted away from the simplicity that's in Christ. Like I said, there are magnificent word studies there. But just real quickly, the word beguiled literally speaks to the closest English word we have is to be hypnotized, to be seduced, to be drawn away by something that has an appearance of something nice, but it is not nice. Remember, there's three words. The first three words is something when you study the Bible called the law of first mention. Wherever you study Scripture, in Bible college, wherever you've had... When you find something that's mentioned the very first time, there is a strain of truth that runs throughout all Scripture. And so the very first three words recorded by Lucifer, who is Satan, in Genesis 3, are these three words. Hath God said. Think about that. That's the heart, the lowest common denominator, therefore, of all of hell's deceptive ways. What does he do? He questions your knowledge of what God hath said. That's heavy, but you have to hear it. It runs through, that's where all deception. So that people get angry at us because we harp on you knowing the word. But your word is your only defense. Knowing the word of God is your only defense. It's not your experience. Listen, I'm gonna, don't get angry at me. You know, we are, we are a prayer ministry. It's not your experience in prayer. It's not even your experience in worship. You hear me all of those are wonderful wonderful things but ultimately Jesus Christ is our pattern and in Luke 4 when Satan himself came at the master remember the way God's son who is our pattern resisted and overcame the temptations the testings of the devil were how what did he do every three times he said what it is written it is written It is written. You are going to be strong to the degree that you know what is written. Sorry. Well, I'm not sorry, but that's the truth. So he said, I'm afraid for you that just like Eve was beguiled by the subtlety of Satan, that your mind should be corrupted away from the simplicity that's in Christ. He said, beguiled by the subtlety of Satan. And this is where, like I said, I really left off. The Greek word for subtlety is a very interesting word. It's spelled P-A-N-O-U-R-G-I-A, pen orgia, And it was an interesting word the first time I studied it many, many years ago because ultimately to get to the point, because we're going to have to stop here in just a few minutes, it speaks of the art of sophistry. Now in those days I had no idea what sophistry was, S-O-P-H-I-S-T-R-Y, sophists. Well, if you look up even on the net or you go back in history, sophists were pre were itinerant teachers around just before the time of Aristotle in ancient Greek, in ancient Greek uh, philosophy. But sophists, this was the description of sophists. Sophists were people who went about debating, it says literally, you can see in the quotes, in fact, there's sophist society today. You can go up and all these strange and weird people on the internet, the sophist society. Sophists are people, it says, who engage in debate with no real end in sight. It's called the art of argument. In other words, it's debate for the sole reason of debating, to see who can uh, win over one another with a stronger argument, but with no real end in sight. The, the one thing that's so critical when you study, when you look up to, the, to read about what sophistry is, it, you'll find this just kind of layered in there. The truth is not the issue. The truth is not the issue. The truth is not the main factor. The main factor is how well you're able to debate. And then you know what I said in this commentary? Satan is the supreme sophist. And so that should say something there. Paul said, I'm afraid for you that just like Eve was begun by the subtlety of Satan. The word literally in the Greek means all working. The all working of Satan. Now, why I want you to hear that is because you see, this is why you have to get into Scripture and read it for yourself. Because the way hell works is to get you into debate, to get you into argumentation with a thousand other people and with all of their ideas and all of their personal experiences. But remember, you never judge or weigh God's Word by man's experience. God's Word stands alone. The Word of the Lord is tried like silver seven times over, it can be trusted. It's been refined. Hallelujah. It's truth. It will never change. It will never alter. You can bank your whole life on the truth of God. But hell wants you to get into clever argumentation and clever debate. That's why when you read the pastoral epistles, Paul speaks so strongly to Timothy. And he said, keep yourself away and avoid all these vain imaginations and arguments and all these vain babblings of men all these argumentations of people who argue for the sake of arguing. He says, keep yourself free from that. And you have to work at that because it can come subtly. You have to understand the highest form of temptation, the highest form. And this is why, you know, uh, the strongest demon spirit there is is a religious spirit. It's the truth. Uh, Let me tell you, you know, when Satan came at Jesus, you know, in Luke chapter 4, just as we close here, remember that when he came, he came with what's, what we know are the three major categories of temptation that the book of John speaks of, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So, you know, if you be the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And if you be the Son of God, then, you know, da, da, da all this stuff. But what was the final temptation? Do you remember how Satan tempted Jesus? Satan quotes the Bible. You've really got to hear that. The strongest form of deception there is, is scripture taken out of context. It's scripture that's misappropriated. And this is why a lot of well-meaning people, like Paul said, now, like I quoted, I think, last night, Paul said there in Timothy, he said, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days men will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines that demons teach. And Did you ever actually understand that demons have doctrine? And he speaks in the next verse, he said, who will forbid men to marry and forbid men to eat certain foods that God has commanded to be accepted with thanksgiving. And he talks about things that are demons' doctrines, and he only lists two examples, and two examples are not allowing people to marry and being confined to certain foods. And we know a lot of good people who do not know, but they're teaching a demon's doctrine. That's frightening. But there is the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants us to dig into. But the word has never changed. There is another gospel that isn't the gospel. He never changed his doctrine, his phraseology, his creed. The same word was preached. The difference wasn't in the word preached, but how it was heard or received. Remember always hearing about, well, you know what they say. You'll stop paying attention to what they say when you find out who they are. They are them <laughs> that are in Hebrews 4.2, the ones who don't profit from the Word of God, the ones who say it passed away. It's not for today, that heaven and earth, but God's Word says heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Word shall not pass away. They don't mix it with faith. They believe it's God's will to save everybody, but they don't believe it's God's will to heal everybody. But that's what we're going to change, at least in our own lives. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great grace that's come to us in the person of Jesus. And we just ask that your anointings would be strong upon us as we give our hearts to hear and to understand more of the grace that's come to us in the person and through the word of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Amen.